was a pastor who always liked to use the phrase, could be worse, whenever some calamity or disaster might come upon a church member. One day, he had a friend tell him, I've got something I need to tell you, and you're not going to be able to use your favorite phrase. I had a dream last night that I died and went to hell. Sure enough, the pastor said, could be worse. And the man, his friend, became unglued, saying, man, alive, how could it be worse? To which the pastor said, could be true. To which the pastor replied, could be true. (laughs) Well, I doubt it could get much worse in our story today. Jesus is on the cross between two thieves. And the difference to how each responds to Jesus is rather startling. One questions Jesus' identity as the Messiah. The other takes a far different tone one who I am calling this morning the crucified crook. If ever there was someone who was deemed worthless, it had to be this guy. If ever there was someone who had the loser label, this guy had earned that designation. Here is a man who is receiving the ultimate punishment for his crime, death. And we have nothing to tell us that he did not deserve it. And yet, maybe that is exactly why Jesus chose him of all people. Jesus chose him in order to show us just how much he loves us. This is the second of the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross that we are looking at in the season of Lent. It's the last conversation that Jesus has with another human being. And so I would like for us to look at this cry of Jesus from the cross found only in the Gospel of Luke. As we look at Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43, I invite you to follow along on the screen. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once again, would you pray with me? Almighty and everlasting God, you will that your Son should bear for us the pain of the cross. Help us to remember and give thanks for our Lord's sacrifice, that we may receive forgiveness for our sins and redemption to be with you in paradise forever. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. We don't know much about the thief on the cross. Maybe he had been in a crowd and had heard Jesus speak. Maybe while looking to pick some pockets on a grassy hillside when he saw Jesus feed 
5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Maybe he had watched him hang out with the lost, the lonely, and those of lowly status in the community. In other words, people just like him. Or could it be that the only thing he knew about Jesus was what he was now seeing with his own eyes? A bloodied, beaten, nail-suspended preacher gasping for breath in his lungs. Something told this man that he was in the company of someone very different from the company of the normal, unsavory folks that he hung out with. Up on the cross, this thief had no more tricks up his sleeve. All he had was a prayer request. And next to him, the one to whom he should be asking. And so he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, hey, Jesus, any chance you could put a good, a wor- oh, put a good word in for me with the man upstairs? Here's a guy that throws all caution to the wind. And he simply asks, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Let me ask you a question. Do you find that hard to accept? Is it maybe just a little too convenient that here's this guy with nowhere else to turn? He now wants a free pass of entry into paradise. We've probably all heard stories of people who've had these last-minute deathbed conversion experiences. And at first glance, this does seem outrageous to us. A two-bit thief asking God's eternal son for life while both are hanging on a cross. Uh, Hey, buddy, don't you think maybe you're cutting it a little too close? Well, friends, rather than examine this guy's resume or question his motives, I would rather for us to explore God's agenda. Jesus says to the man, Truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus says, consider it done. And so you see, the story really isn't about the sudden faith of a repentant criminal, wonderful as that may be. I believe it's really about the overwhelming grace of a loving God. Jesus shows us powerfully that he's not coming down from the cross to save himself, but he's staying on the cross to save us. Years back, there was an amazing story of Baby 81. Maybe you remember it. Baby 81 was a four-month-old infant from Sri Lanka who was miraculously found alive amidst the mud, the debris, and the corpses after that devastating tsunami in 2005. The baby got its nickname because he was the 81st patient admitted to a local hospital following that disaster. And his discovery touched off a firestorm of controversy among Grimi families who wondered if this child who was found alive could be theirs. And dozens of people came to the hospital hoping to claim that baby. One couple who claimed the boy belonged to them had been searching for days, but their joy in finding him did not matter to the authorities because they could not provide any documentation that he was their son. They said all the proof that they had had been swept away during the storm. 
but they were persistent. They kept coming back for the boy that they said was their son. They were even arrested for trying to forcibly take the, the boy out of the hospital. And so the, the baby was put under police guard while the local officials tried to figure out what to do. Well, finally, that couple launched a court battle to try and claim the boy. And so the judge ordered DNA testing, which they willingly agreed to. And when the results came back from the lab, it confirmed that this couple was the boy's real parents. And they were finally reunited after three agonizing months as a family. Why do I tell that story? I would like to think that what those parents went through is in some way symbolic of what God, what God went through for us. You know, before that couple could claim that baby, their identities had to be confirmed just as Jesus had to have his identity confirmed on the cross. For the scoffers and doubters, the issue of Jesus' identity would only be resolved if, if he saved himself. But for Jesus, the issue of his identity is answered only as he saves us, even at the cost of his own life. So despite being in physical pain, despite being in spiritual agony, Jesus continues his ministry on, of all places, the cross. As it says earlier in Luke's gospel, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If you don't hear anything else I have to tell you today, which is always a preacher's great oral device for getting people to pay attention, if you don't hear anything else, I tell you today, just remember this. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He lifted up the tear-streaked face of a Samaritan woman with five failed marriages. And he had her look directly into his face. He praised a groveling tax collector while rebuking a God-fearing Pharisee. He healed a paralytic that people had been walking over and around for 38 years. And today, with his last dying breath, Jesus pardons a thief who had, by the way, zero opportunity for any kind of spiritual growth and says to him, today, you'll be with me in paradise. The one who knew no sin was a friend of sinners. And what I think that means is that our focus should not be so much on the next life or what paradise is or may look like, but that Jesus promises to be with us both now and forever. Think about that. The one who came at Christmas, the one who is Emmanuel, God with us, is the same one who promises to be with a criminal and for all of eternity. I know it's hard to get our minds around it, but right now, there is a thief walking the golden streets of heaven with a grin from ear to ear who knows more about grace than any graduate of Princeton Seminary. He was written off, discarded, sentenced to death, and no one gave him a prayer. And yet, it was in the end, his simple prayer, Jesus, remember me. It's all he had. And through the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, 
It is all he needed. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So friends, what would it look like for the church to demonstrate this wonderful truth of Christ's love and grace face-to-face, person-to-person, one-on-one? Somehow, some way, we need to be able to connect this message our postmodern, post-Christian, post-denominational culture. As you know, there is an entire generation of people out there that are completely disillusioned with the church. I was at a conference one time, and they were showing us videos of person-on-the-street interviews. And the question was asked, what do you think of Jesus? Oh, and one person says, awesome, Jesus taught us how to love people. And another said, oh, Jesus was great. He was on the side of the poor and the oppressed. And then the interviewers asked another question. What do you think of the church? And then the answers came back. Oh, yuck, the church is filled with people who are narrow-minded, mean-spirited, intolerant, who try to cram their beliefs down our throats. And judging from what one young woman said and had seen of Christians, she said, I, I, don't, I don't think I want to be born again. Today's postmodern generation are afraid that becoming a Christian won't make them better people. They're actually afraid it'll make them worse people. And the last comment we saw in the video was from a man who said, Christianity really messes you up. Well, friends, the church is not to be an enemy of people who are searching and looking for answers but we are to be the embodiment of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so let me ask you, does the church, specifically, does this church, Chestnut Level Presbyterian, have the courage and conviction to take the good news that God loves us and wants to be with us and put it in the words and actions so that the people can hear it, believe it, understand it, embrace it? I think what happens is all too often, we, we just don't know the right language to use, and we wind up looking rather silly. In the movie Hardcore, George C. Scott plays Jake Van Dorn, a strict Presbyterian elder from the Midwest. He has a teenage daughter who runs away to get out from under his oppressive thumb, and she winds up in the Los Angeles urban jungle of prostitution and pornographic films. This broken-hearted dad searches high and low for his daughter. And as he's searching all over L.A., he comes across a prostitute who he asks to help her in his search. She agrees to help him, and there's this unforgettable scene in which George C. Scott, Jake Van Dorn, is walking alongside this prostitute who is suddenly open to the gospel. And she asks him, what do you believe? Uh, tell me, what is it that you believe? And this Presbyterian elder looks at her and says, I believe Tulip. And she says, you believe what? He says, I believe tulip. You know, the five points of Calvinism. Total depravity of man. Unconditional election. Limited atonement. Irresistible grace. Perseverance of the saints. Tulip! And this woman, this prostitute, just rolls her eyes and says, jeez. And I thought I was messed up. <laughs> we have to be able to talk to people out there. So that when they say, you know, I, I just want to be happy. We can say, 
I know how you can be happy. That won't leave you with a hangover in the morning. You can be happier than if you had tonight's winning Powerball lotto numbers. Let me introduce you to a man who did not save himself, but who came to save all of us. Oh yes, I know, our Presbyterian Church's Reformed tradition is important. But we need to be able to translate Christ's love in a way so that as we go into the world, we do so with what one early church father, Irenaeus, said is with grace-healed eyes. Grace-healed eyes. I just love that. I said last week that while there are lost people, there are no lost causes. And that includes the thief on the cross. Yet people, apart from Jesus Christ, are indeed lost. And that's why the Bible says in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given amongst mortals by which we must be saved. The next person you talk to this week could be a millionaire. And yet, their basic needs will not be met through their material possessions. You can experience all the pleasures that this world has to offer, and yet, I guarantee you, it will leave you with a chasm inside your soul the size of Crater Lake. And that's why Jesus' words on the cross are also for you and me. He says, truly, I tell you, today, you'll be with me in paradise. There was a little girl who bounced from orphanage to orphanage before finally landing in a foster home. Unfortunately, this home was run by a couple who were more interested in the money that they got to care for the children than for the children themselves. They weren't very loving to this little girl, and she became withdrawn, and then she just stopped talking altogether, except, except to the animals who frolicked in the yard. And her favorite was a squirrel that played in a tree just outside her bedroom window. And the little girl spent hours looking out the window at that squirrel. One day, the woman who ran the foster home came into the girl's room, and she found her talking to the squirrel through her open window. And the woman scolded the little girl for being silly and encouraging animals to hang around near the house. And so she slammed the window shut and she told the little girl never to talk to a squirrel again. Well, after the woman left the room, she waited outside the little girl's room to see if she would disobey her. And when she didn't hear anything, the woman peeked into the bedroom door to see what the little girl was doing and she found that she was writing a note. And the little girl finished the note, she folded up carefully and she left the house. Well, the woman followed at a sort of discreet distance, and she watched as the little girl climbed up a tree outside her window. And then reaching as far as she could, she stuck that note in between the fork of two branches. And then she climbed down the tree and went back into the house. Well, the woman, of course, wondered what that was all about. And so she summoned her husband <laughs> and had him climb up the tree to retrieve the note. And when he climbed back down and handed the note to her. She opened it and she read it. But instead of flying into a rage over the girl's disobedience, she got this kind of strange look on her face. And her husband asked, well, what does the note say? And so she handed him the note. And when he looked at it, he said, 
to whoever finds this, I love you. Friends, on a rough, wooden, old, rugged cross, God put his message of love. And it just wasn't for a thief that day. It was for you and me. It was for all of us. See, Jesus proves who he is, not by what he does for himself, but by what he does for us. He gave everything he had on the cross to save us. It's an overwhelming gift of grace that we didn't deserve and we couldn't have ever imagined. But it's a gift that God was more than pleased to give. May this gift and Christ's love be with you today and into paradise. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, we thank you for the gift of love that is given to us in Christ's sacrifice. Yes, he could have saved himself. Yes, he could have ended the whole bloody ordeal, but he endured the pain, the ridicule, the mocking. Why? In order to save us, because he is our Savior, Messiah, Redeemer, and friend. May we remember Christ's atoning work and know that it was not just for the thief or the people of that day, but it was for us and our salvation and for all time that we might be with him today and into paradise. And we pray these things in the strong and matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.